HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode of Agave Road Trip is brought to you by Mezcal Ultramundo. Ultramundo is a Mezcal brand owned by a family without any real historic connections to Mezcal heritage. Instead, their connection is to nature. They own a 24,000-acre ranch that has been used to graze cattle. It's a beautiful wild place. Everywhere you turn, it's a sea of quiotes. Fresh quiotes, old quiotes, fallen quiotes, just sprouting quiotes. And specifically from Miguel Lamparillo, variety that takes something like 15 to 18 years to reach maturity. Now, there's a lot to talk about with this brand, but I'm reluctant to do that because whatever I say will divert your attention from what I believe is the truly important story, those 24,000 acres of wild agave. You know, we spend a lot of time in this industry talking about sustainability, but the truth is any spirit being shipped out of the community in which it's made isn't truly sustainable. The fossil fuels needed to make the glass bottles and to physically ship them aren't sustainable. So no brand of spirit you're drinking is truly sustainable. I tend to instead look for practices that move us as an industry, move us as a species closer to sustainability. And Ultramundo's harvesting practices are a great example of exactly that. The experts who visited their ranch have suggested that so long as they limit their annual harvest to no more than 80% of what reaches maturity, they'll have a self-sustaining supply of this long-growth agave. Every time I return to Oaxaca, more and more of it is monoculture espadine. Row after row after row of these farmed agave are replacing wildlands where so many diverse plants once thrived alongside so many diverse insects, animals, and bacteria. And I get it. I understand why that happens. And I'm not suggesting we should all stop drinking Oaxacan espadine, but I am saying we need to see more projects like Ultramundo, projects that preserve the biodiversity of our planet. Ultramundo is available now in the USA, everywhere via mail order for consumers, and at wholesale in California for bars, restaurants, and liquor stores. If you believe in preserving wildlands and believe in preserving biodiversity, but still want to drink delicious mezcal, please give Ultramundo a try. Learn more at ultramundo.mx. That's U-L-T-R-A-M-U-N-D-O dot M-X. So much of what we do creates a carbon wake that is, given the structure of our modern world, nearly unavoidable. 
but we can minimize that wake by making diverse choices. Bank. I am Chapati One. And this here is Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps Green Gex bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico, even as we are winning acclaim and awards. Are we? <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was supposed to be at the beginning <laughs> yeah, and I yeah, forgot yeah. it. So anyway. Okay, cool. So I'm going to get really quick into the quote, try to make you angry, and let's see how this episode <laughs> okay. goes. Okay? So I thought you said hungry earlier. No, You're going to no, make no. me angry. <laughs> Just angry. Okay. And okay, Roy. Throw this quote in. The producers can be tasting day by day because that is something that the Pulque production allows for. It is produced daily. So every day you get to taste and experiment with what you're doing. That is something that is a little bit more complicated with mezcal because every part of the process takes more time. But in Pulque, it is a constant innovation. Day by day, hour by hour, they're always changing the proportions. And that happens in the tinacales, which have been proposed to be a combination of Nahuatl with Spanish, merging the word Tina, which translates to bats or containers, and Cali, which translates to house, meaning house of the containers or house of the bats. These tinacales were just as gastronomic laboratories because they're always experimenting with the proportions. They're always refining the pulque. Imagine a 17th century kitchen where they're thickening the mole little by little. The same happens in the tinacales. These are the flavors and stories that have been created by the communities to differentiate the good producers from the ones that are just learning or the ones that don't give pulque the proper time to develop. That is why every time you visit a community, they will tell you, here we do the best pulque. And it is not because they're bragging, but because they've developed their own recipe for what they call good pulque. And uh, thank you very much. This is a quote from Gonzalo Alvarez, a.k.a. Dr. Pulque, our biggest influence right now in the Pulque world. So, Lou, what do you think about this quote? Well, first, I would say your biggest influence in the Pulque world. Mine right now is still Rain the Cortez. Yeah, well, one of our... I, okay. He took me on a great tour around Mexico City drinking Pulque, so I, I have to give no, some, that's fair. some you, love to you Gonzalo. You absolutely can. <laughs> I just need to give props to Reina, that's all. Um I, I'm not sure that I understand the significance. Like you said, it would make me angry and it doesn't make me like in, in essence, what I'm hearing you say, and, and tell me if I'm missing something here. Uh, what I'm hearing you say is that the producers of pulque are constantly tasting, smelling, like they're changing what they're doing in the fermentation process to get to where they want to be that day. Yeah, well, and they're like, I guess, uh, I mean, I thought I knew that it was not going to make you angry. If something was going to make you happy to have more detail into the innovation that happens day by day there. But what I find interesting is that, uh, and, and this might be a controversial thing to say, but I, I think they are significantly more prompt experimentation than the mezcal producers or the spirits producers. I, I, Disagree with that. Okay, I knew this was going to happen. So yeah. why do you disagree Which with that? Which makes me happy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I think there's a limit to, I, I get that the exper- they're doing experimentation, but it feels to me like the experimentation is uh, is centimeters. 
And, uh, and what I mean by that is, like, what exactly does it mean? I add a little bit more aguamiel, a little bit less. Like, it's it, the the things that they are doing, the steps that they are doing, are significantly fewer and simpler than what a mescalero is doing. And I don't I don't mean that to mm. suggest that somehow I don't mean that yeah, to yeah, suggest yeah, yeah, that somehow they are lesser than because in fact when you've got when you've only got centimeters to work with, I think it can actually be more difficult. But when you think about the mescalero, something happens like there's so many different stages and so many different things that happen that with the mescalero, if something goes wrong in the cooking, that maybe they can they can adjust for that in the milling or the fermentation to get closer to what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah but I think like something that really excited me about this quote, it's that it describes Pulque as this fleeting platonic ideal. That it's you know like like the, there's not such thing as uh, as the uh, as as the as the perfect pulque because it's always changing, it's always fleeting, it's always escaping, and you have to be always trying to find the the new best possible pulque well, in your tinacal. Well, yeah, though though I mean, yes. And it's harder to capture that because once you capture it, you, it doesn't stay. It doesn't. Right? And you don't have that reference. You, right. can, There's you, know, no like you cannot take the his... bottle of pulque and be like, okay, that's what I want to go back again. Right, right, right. Which, you know, it's kind of like that story you tell me about the um, uh, Chico Sapote. Well, what's the story? Wait, that, you, that, you, that, you can never find the perfect Chico, like a, a perfect Chico Sapote. Sapote is harder to find than the perfect boyfriend. Yeah, is that, 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 that's the, yeah, that's the same. And same same concept, right? It's a fleeting thing, and it's here for a moment, and it's gone, and you're never sure when that perfect moment is because of the the fermentation that that Raina says actually isn't as as um, uh, uh, vociferous as I've always thought it to be. Yeah, yeah, and and I think like the other thing that I that, that I really love about this is you know like think of this as gastronomic laboratories in in the sense that and, and we've done this point in various episodes using different examples but again like what does tradition mean if you are constantly innovating if you're constantly working with the new agave that it's not the same agave that you know like agaves are very reactive and flexible and plastic to the environment so considering the crazy heat that we have right now, right. the agave that you're fermenting today is behaving very distinct to the agave that you had five years ago, 10 years ago. And the temperature in your tinacal is very different to what you had in other times. So I also love that that, that interaction. It's, uh, it's very well understood and it's very present in a lot of the tinacales. Yeah, though... Again, yeah, it also happens in the sky. Okay, okay, yeah, I give you that. Yeah, yeah I, I give you that. Yeah, I, I, I don't like. I don't want to. I don't want to diminish the uh, the artistry of making pulque because you know I I I I don't understand it, which suggests to me that there's a lot more going on than I could possibly know, right? And I would even say that at the end of the day, and I you know this is probably blasphemy, but. I, I I would I would generally pick a great pulque over a great destilado de agave just because it's so much harder to find. Well, I don't know if I even <laughs> said like there's a bunch of things. I mean, a it's harder to find. B, um, you know, I can drink a lot more of it for a lot longer. C, I think it's so much more refreshing. Yeah, yeah. No, I see that. 
Uh, no, I, I definitely see that. And I also had another uh, fun fact to share with you in our series of you don't know anything about pulque. It's not you don't know anything. It's here's something you don't know. Oh, sorry. I know Here, something. <laughs> here's something you don't know about Pulque Lu. Yeah. So I was in this trip uh, with Dalton Christ. Big shout out to my game Melate. And we were in Yautepec in uh, San Lorenzo, Gilotepequillo. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to repeat that, but go ahead. So anyway, we're interviewing these producers. And they told me that they traditionally have Pulque in, in their town that they fermented exclusively in clay pots and that when they're fermenting it, they always add a specific type of tree bark to the fermentation. Which reminds me of the whole nitrogen stories that we hear from... Uh, exactly. and But that the tree, for some reason, has two types of bark and you have to know which kind of bark is the good one because one will paint it red and will make it taste weird. Oh. But, but can you imagine? I want weird yeah. red pulque. Red pulque, isn't that, that, that sounds delightful, but that they always <laughs> have the other one that will just give it a gentle brown coloration and will make it uh, really good. Did you taste any of this? No, it was not the season, but that what I'm trying to suggest. When is the season? Should, uh, after it stops raining. Oh, so we need to head over there in January. But again, like we keep on hearing more and more stories about bark and fermentation. Yeah. I think that uh, like what I'm tr- what I want to suggest in this episode that again it's a bunch of uh little details and here and there is that maybe we need to do an episode about specific practices of bark and other things that are being added to to either make fermentations faster or nicer. That's yeah. the other thing. Like you know when you think about the the additives they're using for fermentation, it's not necessarily that you want it to make it faster. It just makes the the final product prettier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so I think that you did have never heard that about pulque. Had you? No, 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 I hadn't. You know, it, but it, you're reminding me, there's something else that Reina told me, Reina Cortez told me uh, in Spanish, so I didn't know until after she told me. Um, uh, and Roy translated it. Something else that she said was that uh, they ship a lot of their pulque up to Mexico City. From Oaxaca? Yeah, they truck it up. And in order to truck it up and ensure that it arrives and it's good, they freeze it. No. Yeah, that's what I did too. No. And, you know, and, the, and my head went through all those permutations and then my head went back to, well, hey, hang on. She's using that different agave, which is resulting in something that can last for, for five months in a barrel. But... And so if you think about that, you freeze it and then it defrosts when you're in Mexico City, maybe even on the drive up to Mexico City, it's defrosting. And then it's picking up the yeast from this different place and continuing the fermentation, which means you're going to have, like, if you could taste it at her place and then taste it up there, it's going to be different. Did she tell you who buys it in Mexico City to go try it? She didn't. She might have told Roy. (laughs) Well, like, like I, I, I am curious if they're selling it white or if they're just adding a bunch of fruit to it. You know, oh, like if, 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 they're, if they're using it as a base yeah. or if they're using it as a final product. Well, it's a good question. So when she answers me about the other questions. Well, and the other big question is like, who the hell is crazy enough to spend that amount of money when you have all these other pulque right producers there. that are closer yeah, to, yeah. To, to Mexico City? Well, again, this gets back to uh, to what I said earlier in the in the previous episode is... Her pulque is really delicious. And and it could be that there's some great little pulqueria in Mexico City that's got like 
that's basically doing what we've been talking about, where they've got the side by side of the different agave no, species. No, you know, you know what I think. Like when you say this, the one use that I can imagine that this very specific pulque can justify such an expense is for cooking. So there's a bu- there's a bunch of different dishes that they will use and there's bread. pulque to to, yeah. to cook it. I think that's the only way in which I can I I, I can see pulque justifying such an expense and hassle. Mm. Well, you know, again, we're we're in pure speculation mode now. So, <laughs> so I'll reach I'll reach out to her and ask her that question, um, and check the notes for this episode if you're interested in the answer, and we'll put the answer in there. Love it. So I think again, uh, this might be a conclusionless uh, episode. I just I guess I, I was just obsessed with this quote that uh, that I played at the beginning because. Again, it just points out about the fleeting nature of pulque and how it's something you have to be trying month by month, year by year to understand what's happening in the scene. So if you're going to choose to be a geek about something, consider that becoming a pulque geek is going to be significantly more expensive than a mezcal geek. Well, or actually much less expensive. You just have to move down to Mexico. Well, yeah, I'm just... Talking about gas and transportation expenses. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so that that's about it. It was a rather simple, simple uh, thing that I wanted to say, and I guess it took a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess we'll call that a wrap then, Chava. Okay, pues. Hasta Adios. Bye. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lubank and Chava Periban. Sound Engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Eat responsibly too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.